It's been exciting over this last uh, couple of weeks, uh, being part of a fast like this and, and hearing different people get involved. And I know quite often people don't like coming up the front to, to share a testimony, to say this is, what, uh, this is what's been happening. <clears throat> but it's, uh, it's, important that, um, it's important that we do those sort of things from time to time because it's not actually about you being comfortable up here, it's about giving glory to God. Amen? So is there anybody who goes, oh, I'm a bit hesitant, but, but actually, yes, I have something I want to share. Is there anybody who actually wants to get up here and say something, or not wants to, but feels they need to come up here and, uh, and share something that God's done in their life over the last couple of weeks? I do want to open that up because it's important that we, um, that we do that. Is that me booming? If it is, just let me know and I'll change mics. Um, if there's anybody here who goes, yeah, I've got to share something. It was only in this last week that I heard of the... Uh, a restoration in somebody's, um, somebody's family. And, and I think hearing those sort of things is really exciting. Uh, we've seen things happen within our family, as I've already shared. Uh, we've seen God do things um, in people's lives. But to actually see when somebody comes up and goes, God did this to me this week. And I want to really encourage you to, as you're having coffee afterwards, tell people about what God's doing. You know, how, many, <clears throat> how many people have actually been involved in the fast to some extent or another? I know a number of people have been saying, yes, we've been doing this, yes, we're seeing things happen, and it's, it is exciting to hear what God's doing, so I just want to encourage you. There's only a few days left, which is, uh, which is really exciting, but um, I'm looking forward to eating properly again, but uh, I'm more looking forward to seeing what God does, amen? I'm more looking forward to seeing God break through, um, through us as a church and, and see what he wants to do in the future. So if we could put the first slide up, thanks, Will. The message today is part two of what's all this fuss about fasting. Last week uh, we touched on what fasting is and, and, and the natural part, um, but I want to look at some of the benefits that I talked about last week and there's, if we don't understand this part of the reward that the Bible talks about, then we actually don't really understand the concept of what fasting is. So I want to touch on that briefly before I go any further. Uh, in Matthew 6, 1 to 18, Jesus teaches on giving, prayer and fasting. Uh, and in these areas, Jesus speaks on a reward being given. He says, if you fast before men, if you, if you pray before men, if you give before men, that's the only reward you're ever going to get. And he's not necessarily talking about doing this uh, publicly or privately from, from that point. But what he's saying is that the reward that God gives, and if you look at the two, uh, the two words that he used there, we read reward when we read those verses. But there's actually two different words in Greek. One is uh, a reward is payment for services. The other reward is a gift. And as I shared last week, if, if somebody comes up and does a job for me and we have an agreed amount, our, our washing machine died this week, so we have to get somebody to come in and fix it. So he'll come in, he'll say, I charge $85 for the visit plus parts. He'll come in, he'll do the work, I receive the benefit of his service, but then he will leave and I will pay him some money. Had he come to our place to repair the washing machine and says, look, don't worry about it, it's free. And I decide, out of the generosity of my heart, I want to bless him with a gift. I still receive the service, he still provides the service, but in one, he dictates what I pay, and in the second one, I dictate how I want to give him. And that's what the, the concept of reward is that the Bible's talking about here in Matthew. It says, if you pray before men, and if you give before men, and if you fast before men, if you're... Your desire is to get a response from people to say how good a Christian you are or you must be suffering so much, wow, this is, you're so good. If that's your intention to do this sort of stuff, then that's the only reward you're going to get. That's what Jesus is saying. 
But if you're saying, I don't care what people say, I want to see the breakthroughs of God. I want to see God do something in my life. I want to see something happen in my church. And I'm praying, I'm fasting, I'm seeking God because I want to see what he can do. Then God says, I will reward you openly. And I love the, uh, I love the concept of the open reward. How many people here love a blank check? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> if I was to give you a blank check to a limit of $100, I would say, go and buy what you like to that limit. And I would expect when I see that in the bank that it's within that limit. But if you have an open check that has no limit, then you can buy what you like. And we all understand the concept of an open check. We talk about uh, an open heaven. When, when, uh, in Malachi, when it talks about fasting, God says, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. Who would like a blessing like that? Just as good as an open check, isn't it? And yet the reality is, when we talk about finances, so many people have this this mentality of, I can't own anything. I can't ask God for this. I can't ask God for that. Uh, pastors should be poor. You hear that, so particularly in, in the US, you hear those comments, that pastors should be poor. We need to keep them humble and not pay them much. God wants us blessed. God wants you blessed. Who would say amen to that? Amen. So when the Bible says, I will give you an open, uh, an open heaven or, or God will reward you openly, he's not just saying, I'm going to give you a check. I'm going to give you a blank check. He's, he's not saying that. He's going to say, I will reward you openly. You can't limit me by saying, well, if I do this, then God has to do that. I'm praying, as we're fasting at the moment, I'm believing that God will break through within our church, that he will restore marriages, that he will restore lives, that he will bring healing, that he will do all sorts of things in your life and in our church and in our community, but I'm not going to limit him by saying, God, if we fast for 21 days, you have to do A, B and C. Because then I'm limiting God, because God actually says, Forget about A, B, and C. That's easy. I want to give you H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, and P. But I'm not even thinking about those. I'm just thinking of A, B, C. God says that part's easy. I want to give you more. And the open heaven is a concept where God gives us so much more. Who wants more from God? I would like to see revival in our church. I would like to see people dancing and singing and clapping and raising their hands in worship. You know, that's actually worship. The Bible says we're supposed to be doing all those things. I would like to see uh, people who feel inhibited have that broken off. I would like to see people courageous enough to go down the street and say, let me tell you about Jesus. They're the things that I want to see happen in and through our church. But I know that if I say, God, it has to be this only, that I'm limiting God, because God wants to do so much more. He wants to bless us as his children. 3 John 2 says, Beloved, I pray above all things that you may prosper and be in health. Like I said, who wants to prosper? Yes, I do. But if we look at that verse, the last part says, even as your soul prospers. So there's two parts to this. I pray above all things you may be in health and prosper. That's one part. But he says, even as your soul prospers. The Greek there says, in proportion to. There's balance. So your, your soul is your mind, your will and your emotions. If my mind is prospering, then I'm saying, God, it's all about you. I want, I want to think about things of you. I'm not going to think on things that are discouraging, things that are pulling me down. I want to include God even in my thoughts. My will is, is actually being determined. God, I am determined to give you this. I, I surrender my will to him, which means if God says, get up at five in the morning and pray, then I say, yes, sir, no problems, no questions asked. I get up. I surrender my flesh in those cases. Uh, your emotions... Who's ever laughed? Who's ever cried? 
who's ever grieved. You know, we're supposed to even grieve before God. Yes? God wants us to, all our emotions, to, to do those before him. When you're unhappy, God, I'm struggling with this. I don't know what to do with this. If everything about me is God, it's about you. I want to surrender to you. I want to live for you. I want to do whatever I can. Then the prospering and being in health, in proportion with my soul prospering, if my soul is God, everything I do, everything I think about, my will, whatever I do, I want to honour you, then the prosperity doesn't become uh, contaminated by greed. Because my will says, God, this is all about you. So when I become prosperous, and yes, it does include finances, but it includes so much more. When God makes us prosperous, everything we do is focused through him. If we look at uh, Mark eleven twenty four, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe you receive them and you will have them. That's a great prayer to pray, isn't it? Whatever things you desire, whatever you want, if you want that Lamborghini, pray for it. No, that's not what it's saying. I thought I'd better jump in real quick. <laughs> if we look at Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself means to be soft and pliable, to allow God to shape you, to allow God to, to do whatever he has to. And who knows, that can hurt sometimes. If I allow myself to be soft and pliable in God's hands, it says that he will give, and the word give there in Hebrew is assign. So if I make myself soft and pliable in his hands, he will assign his desires to my heart. So that my prayers then become, uh, again, not contaminated by greed, but God, this is all about you. As I'm spending time before him, as I'm, as I'm seeking him, as I'm praying, as I'm saying, God, I need you to shape me, that he starts assigning his desires to me. So in Mark 11, whatever things you desire, which come from him, every time you pray, these things happen. So what I'm doing, I'm not saying, it's God, it's all about me, I have to, I have, I have to have, I have to have, I have to have. What I'm saying is, God, it's all about you. And the blessing comes as a result of me putting God first. And fasting helps shape my life in that area. Who's enjoyed fasting over the last two weeks? A few of you. I have because I've seen, uh, and, and there's times I've struggled, I've got to admit that, but, but looking back, seeing God's actually been doing things, it's so exciting to see. I want to see the open heaven. I want to see God's hand on my life. I want to see breakthroughs within my family, within my own life. Things that I struggle with as a human being, God, I want these broken. We all need to go through that. And so the fasting helps us get to that place where we're saying, God, it's all about you so that I can have your desires put in here, so that I can pray and live my life in a way that will honour you. Because as I put God first, as I live for him, that's when the prosperous life, the open heaven, whatever we want to word it as, comes on us. Yes, it might be finances, but it's not fed by greed. It's God, if something comes in financially, then I can use this to further your work. It's, it's living my life in a way that says, I want to, I want to put you first. Uh, Jesus lived the miraculous and as I was preparing this message, I was thinking about what it would have been like to be one of the disciples. Who would have liked to, uh, to live in that time? I'd love to see what they do. I'd love to see how God uh, shaped them, how, how Jesus shaped them, how he challenged them. Uh, but when you think about it, they heard things from Jesus that were outside of the normal. They, they watched him heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, cleanse the leper. They saw him walk on water, uh, James, John and Peter saw him transfigured and talking with Elijah and Elisha, uh, sorry, Moses. And 
Time after time after time, we see the miraculous happen within them. And John 1, uh, 21, 25 says, there are many other things which Jesus did also. If they were all written down, I don't think the world itself could hold the books that would be written. So they saw the miraculous. They saw Jesus do things over and over and over again. But they also saw him praying time after time after time, hour after hour. They saw him fast. They saw him uh, live his life in that sense. So they, they see the miraculous, they see the prayer, and they say, hang on, there's a correlation here. I'm seeing something happen here. This is the disciples going, uh, you know, what's going on? How do we do this? So they come up to Jesus and say, teach us how to pray. And we see that in Luke. And if we go to Matthew's version, when Jesus answers that, he doesn't just teach them on the Lord's Prayer and then stop. He teaches them about giving. He teaches them about praying. He teaches them about fasting. He talks about the reward, the open heaven that goes with those. And so we might say, well, how do we know that he was referring those particular three to the prayer? Well, if we go back to the question they asked, teach us how to pray, how many, kids, uh, how many of you have ever had your kids come up and say, I want a lolly? And as parents, are you going to give them a lolly every time? If they're hungry, what are you actually going to give them? Something healthy, hopefully. Why? Why would you give them fruit over a lolly as a parent? It's better for them. Which means you know what? You know best. Exactly right. So when the disciples come to Jesus and say, teach us how to pray, he goes, the question you're really asking is, teach us how to, how to live so we can see God's open heaven like you. Jesus understood it wasn't just about prayer, it was about being effective. And so he responds according to that and he teaches them on, on prayer, fasting and giving. And he says, if you want an open heaven, don't do these things to get feedback from men. Do these things before me because as you do them before me, then you'll start seeing an open heaven. But it's not just occasionally here, there and everywhere, it's, it's, it's living that life. It's, it's living a life that actually does this on a regular basis. A mechanic fixes cars, a builder builds. They usually do this stuff because they see fruit from what they're doing. Yes, they might get paid, but there's usually a delight and a joy in that. We could say that we need to be givers, we need to be prayers, we need to be fasters, we need to be sowers, the word says. So as a mechanic is a mechanic, a mechanic fixes cars, a faster fasts, a prayer prays, we need to do these sort of things out of lifestyle so that we can actually continue to see the open heaven. Because I want to see things uh, broken, I want to see uh, breakthrough in our lives, I want to see breakthrough in your life, I want to see breakthrough in our church and within our community. Every assignment as we're praying, every assignment has a birthplace. If God has a plan for your life, which he has, then that assignment has a birthplace. That it comes back to, God, what do you want from me? And the question is, how do we know the plans God has for our life? How do we know who we're supposed to marry? How do we know where we're supposed to live? How do we, how do we know what sort of job we're supposed to do or what career path we're supposed to follow or, or, or whatever decision we need to make? How do we discover those things we start praying, we start pressing into God and we say, God, I need to know what your plan is for my life. I need to know what, what is the birthplace of this. If God's got a plan and I'm spending time praying him and he starts speaking to me, then he starts birthing something within me. So the question is, how desperate are you to hear from God? We need to be desperate. We need to be 
pushing in, saying, God, I need a miracle. God, I need a breakthrough. And I will push in, I will pray, I will seek his face. And we're going to look at a couple of verses after that, that clarify that. But David, King David, was one who was desperate for God. And he was also known as someone who fasted often. And we see in Psalm 42 that his hunger and thirst for God were greater than his natural desire for food. It says, As the deer pants for the water brook, so my, my soul pants for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When, I, uh, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been food all day and night while they continually say to me, Where is your God? So he's saying that he's, he's pressing into God. It's like, I want this more than food. I, I want this. And he uses the phrase, As the deer pants for the water. And I've often looked at that and gone, that doesn't sound desperate to me unless the deer hasn't drinking for three days, who knows. But when I was reading up on it, I want to read a little, a little clip from a book. It says, The deer is not only fond of feeding near some water for the benefit of drinking, but when he is hunted and nearly spent, he will take to some river brook where he can stay as long as his breath will allow him. Understand that when a deer is spent and saw run, his last refuge is to the water. And he will commonly descend down the stream and swim to the very midst thereof. For he will take as much care so as he can not to touch the boughs or twigs that grow on the sides of the river for fear lest the hounds should, uh, the hounds should there take scent of him. And sometimes the deer will lie under the water all but his very nose and, have some, and I've seen several lie till the hounds have been upon them before they would rise for they are constrained to take the, to the water as their last refuge." And I thought it was interesting reading that, that the, the deer will actually, it knows that it's safe places the water. When it's done everything it can and there's nothing left, it will head straight for the water. That is my place of desperation. When I'm desperate, that's where I go. And they will hide underwater with just their nose above the surface, according to this writer. And, and I think it's interesting that David's saying, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. As the deer is desperate for the things of God, that's how desperate I am. And I wonder how desperate we are. How desperate are you for God to have breakthrough in your life? How desperate are you for God to have a breakthrough in your marriage, in your job, in, in whatever you need? How desperate are you? Or is it, ah, oh, yeah, I'll give it a crack. I remember counselling somebody one day and, and we were talking about salvation and his life was totally messed up. And I talked about Jesus, I talked about uh, what he can do and forgiveness of sins and, and eternal hope. And I said, do you see the sense? And he goes, he goes, absolutely. I said, would you like to surrender your life to him? He goes, no. I said, why not? He goes, I've got a few other things I want to try first. I never saw him again. I don't know what happened. His life was messed up. It wasn't just a couple of things wrong. He was messed up. But I can fix this myself. How desperate are we to come before God and say, I've got to have it done your way. I want to see a breakthrough in my life because I know that God is the only one who can bring that breakthrough. I'm a human being, I'm limited in what I know, I'm limited in what I can achieve, I'm limited in how effective I can be, but I can be so much more with the power of God in my life. But it's not about me, I want to honour him. I want to see him glorified in everything I do. So the question is, are you so desperate for God that you would sacrifice anything to be closer to him? To sacrifice anything to be closer to him. Paul tells us in Romans 12, 1, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. How do we do that? When we give, when we pray, when we fast. For us to give, it means we're giving away something that, that belongs to us. And it's, 
It's a, a price we have to pay. I choose to be generous. I choose to give. Why? Because I know that as I give, God can give back exceedingly, abundantly above anything I could ask or think. But my attitude in that is, is if, I give, if I give this to Shanann, then God's going to give me so much back. I'll get, I'll get all this. It can't be about greed. It's about I just want to give. I want to give. And as I give, God honours his own word. As I pray, as I spend time praying, I'm, I'm not just going, God, give me, give me, give me, give me. As we looked at the Lord's Prayer a few weeks ago, there's so many things included in there. There's worship, there's surrender, there's putting on the armour of God, there's, there's all these things. I'm saying, God, it's all about you. Very little of our prayer time should be, God, give me, give me, give me. We are required to ask. The Word says that. But it's not give so I can be more and more and more blessed because then I'm determining the limits of that and I want God to have his way. And who knows, you can't outgive God. We say amen, but when crunch comes, when push comes, we say, God, I, I need this. You, you, you. And we, do we really trust him? We, we have to continue to push through. We have to continue believing. We have to continue believing for the breakthrough, whatever that may be. And what I, what I love about that verse is... Um, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The Greek word there is logical. And service is ministry. Present your bodies to God. This is your logical ministry. It's like common sense. This is all you should be doing, he's saying. Paul goes on to say, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So to get in a place where our mind is influenced by the things of the, uh, to to get into a place where our mind is influenced by the things of God, not the things of the world. If we watch TV, we're influenced by the world. If we listen to the radio, we're influenced by the world. If we hang out with the wrong kind of people, we're influenced by the world. And there's nothing wrong with doing those things, but I need to make sure that my influence is primarily God, so that when the world comes, I know the difference between the counterfeit and the real. Because I don't want the world influencing my life. I want my life to be effective. And as I'm praying, as I'm fasting, as I'm, as I'm believing for this, God starts shaping me inside and I start becoming more fine-tuned to him and what he wants. It's like hitting a reset button. It was in Acts 9 where Paul was fasting three days and God showed him his plan for his life. Peter was fasting on a rooftop when God called him to the Gentiles. That was a massive change in thinking. Jews and Gentiles don't mix. So when God says, you need to go and minister to the Gentiles, he goes, absolutely not. I'm not doing that. But God didn't just give him these clear words. He gives him this vision. You need to eat this food that I've given you. He says, that's unclean food. I've never done that in my life. And God says, what I've called clean, don't you dare call unclean. And he comes to this place, he's going, God, what are you trying to say? Then when Cornelius comes along, a Gentile, he goes, puts two and two together and suddenly realises God's speaking. So he goes there, he ministers, he sees revival, he sees breakthrough, he comes back and the rest of the disciples say, how dare you do that? You should not do that. You know, these godly men who are seeing the miraculous, are seeing all these amazing things, saying you should not be mixing with the Gentiles. So if we're believing for breakthrough this year, we're believing for something new, what are we going to do when God says, I want you to change this? Or are we going to say, how dare you? God, you can't possibly mean that. You can't possibly mean that we would change, change what we've always done. But maybe he does. If God's going to birth something new, it could be something new and exciting that we've never seen before. 
New ideas, new direction were birthed through fasting on a regular basis. And I think it's interesting when you look at Peter and, and, and that the whole thing that God gave him was to minister to the Gentiles was a change of what's always been done. The way it's always been done was no longer the way it's going to be done. He was praying, he was fasting, he was coming before God and saying, God, I just, I'm here for you. And he wasn't praying, God, do I, don't I, what do I do? He was just, just worshipping God and fasting and God spoke through him in that. So the fast actually brought a complete change to his life. In Joel 2, we see all of Israel was in sin. And God says in verses 12 to 16, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. God doesn't want the physical stuff. He wants your heart to be the thing that's broken before him. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. When the fast was declared, everything stopped. Even the wedding was put on hold. It's like we're fasting. God, I want to see... I want to see breakthrough. I'm desperate for that. Everything else gets put on hold because I'm desperate to see what God wants to do. That should be our our hard attitude, our desire. But the key verse here is blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly. Now keeping in mind that Israel was, was living in sin, they were doing their own thing in there and God says, consecrate a fast, things have to change. Call a sacred assembly. Blow the trumpet. There was a real announcement of something's happening here. And as we go on to verse uh, 28, and it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that, if I, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And also on my, ma- on my men's servants and my maid servants. That's really crackling, obviously. I'll swap to the other one, thanks. He's saying, on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. What I love is the fact that it was, uh, they were living in sin. God says, sound the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly. And breakthrough happened as a result of that. And afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Who knows that's a turnaround? The fast brought a change in the natural and the spiritual. As we are fasting as a church, we need to be believing for God to bring change in your life, in your family, in your circumstances. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit. I want to see God's afterward moment for us. I want to see God's afterward moment. I want to see our youth, our kids, standing up in church, giving prophetic words. I want to see some of our older men and women having dreams that will, that will not just be a dream go, oh, what's that, but a dream that will actually take them out to do something new, to impact our community. 
for people to have visions from God. As those sort of things happen, revival more and more and more will start breaking out. But like I said a few weeks ago, revive means to stir up something that was once burning. And what we should be pursuing is Acts 2. Amen? We should be pursuing the things that we've seen in Acts where they they lay hands on the sick and they do recover. It's not a case of I I pray and and hopefully one day something might happen. Go to the doctor maybe, get get some more medicine. But I pray and I see a breakthrough. That I pray and I see marriages completely restored. That I pray and I see people delivered. That I pray and I see the things that I couldn't possibly expect to happen from me in the natural. I want to see those afterward things happen for us as a church. I want to see your businesses prosper. I want to see your families prosper, your kids do well. According to Joel, all that happened after they fasted. Every time somebody fasted in the Bible, the supernatural followed. As we fast as a church, we need to be expecting the supernatural to follow. When we're we're asking for testimonies, we should be expecting things have happened this week. That's why I'm asking for testimony, because I'm believing God is actually doing things in your life. You may not even see these things yet. It might be that it happens two or three months afterward, but start expecting the breakthroughs are going to happen. The breakthroughs are going to happen. What would happen if uh, 2 Chronicles 7.14 actually happened, like God said it would? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. What would our land look like if it was healed? Amen? What would our government look like if it was healed? Every time I turn on the TV and watch the news, I see Labor criticising Liberal. I see the Greens criticising other people. I see Liberal criticising Labor. All they're doing is just living a life that is full of criticism, jealousy, envy, all this sort of stuff. What would happen if our government was healed? What would happen if our country was healed? What would happen if you were healed? Amen? 2 Chronicles 20 verses 1 to 3 says, It happened after this, that the people of Moab and the people of Ammon and the others besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. He saw something happen. He was afraid. He says, how do I deal with this? I know. I will turn to God. I will fast because he understood the principle of the supernatural following the fast. He was desperate. How many know here that if you're, you're the king of a land and the enemy is coming in you with innumerable people that you're in trouble? His response, but God. I will press in. I will pursue God. And verse 13, now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. They were desperate for God to speak. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel and he said, Listen, all all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid nor dismayed because this great multitude for the battle is not yours but God's. 
tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them by the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. He's praying, God, I need a breakthrough, and the prophet says, this isn't your battle, but God's. The enemy is still going to come, but it's God's battle. As we fast and as we pray, it doesn't always mean God's going to take everything away and make life really easy. Sometimes we still have to go through the battle, but the battle is the Lord's, not yours. The things that you're struggling with are God's, not yours. He says, you will not need to fight this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. What he's really saying is there, be still and know that I am God. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord your God is with you. And verse 21, and when he consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should sing praise, the beauty of holiness. And they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir who had come against Judah and they were defeated. What I love in this is that God says, be still and know that I am God. This is my battle, not yours. You need to trust me. Set yourself in battle array. Watch what happens. Don't stress over what happens. This is my battle. And what do they do? They worshipped. They sang. Worship has to be a part of our life. Worship has to be, not should be, not it has to be a part of our life. I want to do a series at some stage this year on worship and look at what the Bible says. Things like clapping your hands is biblical. Making noise is biblical. Lifting your hands in worship is biblical. And if you don't do those things, you're refusing to worship God. And as a child of God, as a member of God's family, God loves it when we worship him because we're actually saying, God, I love you. How many of you here are married? Put your hands up. What would happen in your marriage if you sat at home, occasionally you went out for a romantic dinner, well, actually, dinner, but you didn't talk? You wouldn't call it romantic. What would happen to your marriage if you didn't communicate with the other person? It'd fall apart. Your marriage is over, or at least it would be heading that way. You wouldn't be communicating love. You wouldn't be communicating nothing. If you don't communicate, your marriage won't work. Now, if we do the same with God, as I'm sitting here in church, listening to the music, listening to the word, I don't read his Bible, I don't pray, I don't worship, you can't really call yourself married or a Christian. If you want to call yourself a Christian, if you want to say that my life is all about God, then you have to worship. You have to read his word. You have to pray. And you might say, well, that's not fair. You're telling me what I have to do. Well, you don't have to be a Christian. That's your choice. But for me, I want to see an open heaven, which means I have to push in. I have to worship. It's in me to want to do this because I love God. I want to have that ongoing relationship and connection with him. And verse 23, For the people of Ammon and Moab stood against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Then all Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness. They looked, they looked toward the multitude and there were dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. 
The battle was the Lord's. He took care of everything. They just worshipped. So as you're fasting, if you have a miracle that you desperately need, then you need to spend some time coming before God. You might say, well, I can't fast. I, I work too hard. I'm a tradesman. Well, do a partial fast. I know one tradesman here says, I have to eat, so I'm going to eat fruit and vegetable for the whole three weeks. Awesome. Comes back to the hard attitude. Why? Because God, I'm doing this before you. He doesn't look at your fast, how long it is, how short it is, how, how big it is, how powerful it is. It's, are you doing this before him? I'm believing God wants to do a new thing. I want to see that new wine from heaven. Who wants to see the new wine? If you want to see the new wine, you have to have a new wine skin. I was listening to a message this week, and they were saying that when, when wine is made, when it was poured into this fresh, uh, I think it was goat skin, the wine would ferment, the gases would swell within, within the leather, and it would stretch. But it was all a part of the process. Eventually the skin would go hard, the wine would be preserved. But if you then use the wine, you decide, well, I'm too, I'm too Dutch to buy another skin. I can say that because I'm Dutch. But you're saying, I'm going to be too cheap. I'm not going to buy this. I'm just going to use what there is. Then the new wine goes in. The fermentation process happens. The bag swells. And because the leather's dry and is already stretched to its limit, it breaks. And you lose both the bag and the wine. If you want to see the new wine in your life, there has to be a change of heart. If you need the miraculous in your life, there has to be a new wineskin. If you want to see the wine, there's got to be something new. I actually would like to open up for uh, just for a few minutes. If anybody would like prayer, I've just asked Justin to play a bit in the background, but you might say, actually, I, I have a, mir a miracle that I need. I need a breakthrough. I need God to do something in my life. Then come forward. And don't be a spectator. Start praying. Let's all just stand up. I know that as God pours out his wine... I think back to the, to the wedding when Jesus turned the water into wine. They said, this isn't cheap stuff. This is the good stuff. God doesn't give you the cheap stuff. God has an open heaven. God gives you the good stuff. His Holy Spirit is the breakthrough that you need. And just with everyone's eyes closed, I want you to think, if I need to, if I need to reshape my life, if I need to come before God, you may never have surrendered your life to God. I'm not talking about asking God to forgive you because every time we sin, the Bible says he will forgive us. I'm talking about someone who needs to surrender their life, saying, God, my life isn't in order. God, I need a breakthrough. I need the miraculous. I need you to do something. I don't want to go through this service without giving you that opportunity. So if that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand nice and high. and We're going to pray together as a church. But believe 
that God is going to do something in you. Believe for the miraculous in your life. As you're spending the last few days and you might have gone, I, I haven't fasted yet. Well, start. Doesn't matter if it's only a meal or if it's a few days. Be a part of what we've put aside because I want to see breakthrough in your life. I want to see God do the miraculous. Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I matter to you. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I surrender my life to you. I give you everything. I choose to surrender to you. I want you to be my Lord and Saviour. I thank you for your faithfulness. I worship you. I bless you. I honour you. I thank you that I'm your child because of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you need, if you need uh, some prayer, come forward. Don't hold back. Don't go, oh, I'll do this after the service. I feel we need to have a time now where we're praying. Don't observe. Don't look. Don't go, oh, I'll just sit here back. You just start praying. You start interceding for those who might come forward. You start praying for the miraculous. As um, Adrian was speaking, I just felt the Lord say, I'm just going to give up. I just can't do this anymore. So I don't know who you are um, and you want to come afterwards, that's fine. But it is not time to give up. It is time to rise up. So if that's how you've been feeling, please come out and we'll pray for you too. If there's anybody else who needs to come, now's the time to come forward. Don't hold back. And as a church, start start praying lift up your voice this is our family that is up here amen this is our family we are a part of this together close your eyes spend some time praying and we're just going to allow god to do what god needs to do we're going to believe god for the breakthrough because our god is a big god our god wants to see the miraculous happen so let's continue trusting him